Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it's hard to believe, but, uh, you know, football season is about half over now. Yeah, and we've got Halloween coming up, too. I'm excited about that. <laughs> Are you excited about yeah. that? You got your mask already? Yeah, right, right. It's uh, it's not a Gamecock fan. It's not a Gamecock <laughs> fan. So well, actually, yeah, right. it'd be a pretty scary costume right now. It'd so be they're not, scary right now. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're struggling a little bit. Clemson has a big game coming up with Miami. Yeah, I'm worried about that one. You yeah. know, that's, uh, that's a huge game for us. Yeah, they're like number eight, eight. the seventh in the country yeah. or something like yeah. that. Be competitive. So, uh, be competitive, no doubt. Got the playoffs so. in the uh, major leagues as well. That's I, I enjoy watching um, yep. the playoffs. Particularly as they get to the World Series as well. It's just it's always piqued my interest. Yeah, I like watching the World Series. I mean, that's the pinnacle. You yes, know, that's right. Of baseball, so uh, cool thing to watch. So lots going on there, you know, and lots going on in the stock market too. Um, you know, we've uh, we had a great five months, and then we 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 stumbled a little bit last month. Yeah, so, so September was a tough month. So it'll be interesting to see what it does now going up to the election. Um, October's so, been good, though, in certain asset has, classes. We're st- starting to see a little bit of rotation. We'll see if that continues. Absolutely. And we got some great topics to talk about. We're going to talk about your money types. Yeah, this is a, an article out of Kiplinger, and uh, there's there's eight money types they reference, but we're really going to dive into to three of them and really how it relates to the pandemic um, that we you know just went through, and quite frankly, it's other you know um, you know downturns in the economy, nine um, eleven things like that. But there's certain types of personalities that react a certain way, and we're going to highlight three of them today. Really, really interesting, and you know it's spot on, really, from uh, what we see as well. Yeah, very interesting topic. And then we're going to pivot and talk about getting through college without loans. Um, you know, I've heard lots of parents here recently about the the just the pain of trying well, to figure tough. out how to pay for college, and yeah. um, you know, and then if you see, we see lots of young people come out with huge loans. Well, there are some ways to get through without loans. There are some alternatives to that. So we're going to talk about some of those. Really good article here out of the College Investor. And, um, yeah, so you want to stick around with that. But we're going to start off here, though. Um, well, John, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show or our podcast every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our uh, website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast, uh, all of the hundreds and hundreds of podcasts we've done over the years. Go back and check them out. We have a lot of, we've, we've done the college before. This is a little different slant on it, but a lot of different topics out there you should go back and, and listen to. Um, and the next time we go through a difficult market, you know, go back and listen to the pandemic ones because exactly it, there's the playbook from a financial standpoint doesn't change a lot during these dips. Yeah, you can go back right? and listen to 2008. Yes, I mean, We've absolutely. been doing these a long time yeah. and uh, there's lots of... Uh, Lots of, I guess we didn't. We started, no, yeah, we started, 2011. We started after yeah. that. You're right. We didn't have 2008. But 2015 but we, was a, a challenging year as well. But anyway, there's a lot of these, these topics we talk about are just time, you know, they, they're good through different times and so forth. So check out our webpage. Also, uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page we post out there on a weekly basis, a good prescription of the week. And link to us there on our website. You can send us your, your uh, questions and we'll talk about those right here on the air. 
Um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they're doing some forecasting in the uh, hard copy publishing industry. And I think that word hard copy probably signals that that's not going to be a very good forecast. And this is newspapers, magazines, books, um, calendars, and so forth. And uh, they're, the, the employment is projected to drop by 33% between 2019 and 2029. It's a forecasted loss of 99,000 jobs. So, I mean, that's where technology, I mean, you, you sure. know, greeting cards is on here. People send greeting cards electronically now versus, you know, the Hallmark. Yeah, this is definitely not a big surprise. I mean, there, there are lots of industries that have been changing, and this has been going on for a long time. But, you know, right there with advertising, cable TV, you know, I mean, there's just lots of industries that are yeah, grocery. They're changing. Everything's you know, changing. Everything's really. changing. How we shop, how we do everything, retail. Um, so, you know, if you find yourself in one of those type professions, one of those type of industries, you got to start thinking about where you're going to be in five or ten years, right? I mean, where's your job going to be? How are you transforming your career so that you will fit into the future when technology does change your career mm -hmm. or changes your industry. So, you know, that's really what this fact to me means that you need to start thinking ahead and planning your own career and saying, you know, is my job, is my career going to change based on technology and how the industry is changing? Yeah. And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, it probably will. Just about everybody's yeah, will. Amazing, so no doubt you want to pay attention to that. So good fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is your money type and how it affects your response to, to, to events like COVID, like this year, mm -hmm. down markets. Yeah, this comes from Thomas Farmer out of uh, Kiplinger. And, and Steve, we've seen, um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, you know, people have reacted various ways uh, to the financial uh, stress. And sometimes the responses are surprising. But um, we also have to remember that, you know, people have deeply ingrained beliefs and patterns uh, about money. And there's a lot of research out there that explores the relationship between money and emotions, um, money psychology. And there's one uh, area, it's called the Money Coaching Institute, and they have uh, basically identified eight money types. And we're just going to cover three of them here. We're not going to get into all of them because there were some, some responses we saw out of the pandemic that kind of fit three of them. Uh, the first one's called the innocent type, um, you know, money type. Another one is the the fool or the pleasure seeker. That's not a very nice no. term associated with it. And then the, the last one here is the, the saver or the conservative investor. So we're going to cover those three in depth. Yeah, that's right. Because during, you know, the, the pandemic this year, um, we've seen clients acting in a lot of different ways. And, and but we, there's these three particularly, we've seen people kind of fall into these categories of how they responded to to the pandemic, you know, with, in terms of their investments and the attitude they took toward their investments during this downturn. Um, you know, and it's a universal truth that we learn things about ourselves during difficult times. So now is, is perhaps a great time to understand your relationship with money um, so that you don't let your own stress behavior kind of derail your financial plan going forward. So yeah. this is a great thing to look at. And I will say that, um, you know, this is not based on any statistical data, but my guess is, is our clients, the way they handled this situation 
was much better than the than the average public. I mean, sure. we had clients putting money into the markets when they were down, and, and we we did rebalancing, and they were you know going more aggressive and so forth. So, uh, you know, most folks handled it very very well. And but we're going to dive into the three most common behaviors um, that we have seen kind of out there. And and the first one is um, you know the person that wants to increase risk uh, in a portfolio in hopes of a large payoff. And that's the uh, the fool or pleasure seeker, if you will. And increasing risk is okay. It depends on your situation. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going, you know, gambling out there. But there are certain cases that that makes sense. Uh, another one is selling investments in favor of cash, uh, also known as the saver or conservative investor. And the final one is refusing to inspect your financial situation uh, or make changes, and that's the innocent one. So uh, we'll dive into the first one, and we'll call it the pleasure seeker, Steve. It's a little bit more positive. And um, <laughs> yeah. you know, after the best 50-day rally in history of the S&P 500 index, which occurred in April and May, many investors are experiencing the fear of missing out. And, and some people are now looking for a quick profit. And we see this, we get phone calls of, hey, you think I should buy, you know, a cruise line stock or a airline right. stock because they want to, they want to try to, you know, get a leg up and, and, and they, they don't want to miss out on something that's going to go up. So if you find yourself fighting, you know, the urge to do this, or maybe day trade your accounts, you may fall into this pleasure seeker um, from a personality standpoint. And you're not alone. I mean, this is not unusual in the industry. Yeah, that's right. It's a very seductive thing, you know, to see the stocks that, you know, take off, you know, like we've seen out there, um, a few stocks like Amazon and Tesla and things that just gone nuts, you know, and just would just happen to be in the right place, the right time during this pandemic. But you have to recognize, I mean, that is, a, you know, those are short-lived, and it's a very unusual thing, and you can't predict it, and it won't continue forever. Um, and, but, you know, but, it's, it's, but there's been kind of this uh, following, cult following that's kind of gone along with this, yeah. you know, that have tried to play off of this. And, and, in fact, there is a website, I guess, it called Barstool Sports, mm-hmm. and it's founder Dave Portney and um, Portno, I guess. And, uh, and, you know, he's amassed quite a social media following for his stock picks and his daily trades. So he's <laughs> doing day trading out there and he's kind of got this social media thing centered around it with Barstool Sports. And um, but, you know, they, they, Wikipedia describes it kind of as a sports and pop culture blog it's a blog basically um it's certainly not an investment advisor <laughs> certainly not following any any academic no. philosophy with diversification um so you know you're not going to engage in if you're not going to engage in in speculative investing um you just don't want to do that that's yeah, the bottom you, line okay you got to you got to realize that you, you can't do that with your serious money you know it's one thing to go out here and buy a couple stocks with play money with your fun money so to speak you know money that you can lose that you don't mind losing yeah but don't bet the farm on it don't don't put serious retirement da- money in speculative stocks yeah, like this it's da- crazy yeah dave recommends no more than 10% in one stock and i, I mean you know, I, I would say no more than 5%. I mean, you need to be conservative in that area because it, it is gambling when you start doing individual stocks. That's well, just and I would even say not 5% of your total investment retirement account. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, maybe I would 5% of maybe just fund money. Your fund money. Get some you fund know, money to yeah. the side. Yeah, $1,000, $2,000. We're talking money you can afford to lose yeah. and you don't, and it's not going to going to wreck your your month if you do lose it but you know you don't want to go put your retirement money not even five percent yeah right be careful out there with that one the second type of money um you know personality is the saver or conservative 
And um, so, you know, it may sound counterintuitive, Steve, but a bear market is actually a good thing for long-term investors. Let me say that again. A bear market is good for long-term investors because you're buying investments at discounted prices. Exactly. You're, you're buying more shares. and It's an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever have considered moving your investments into cash during these periods, consider the following information. Going all the way back to the 1970s, a portfolio consisting, consisting of 60% stocks, 40% bonds, has experienced a negative return about 10% of the time when you're looking at rolling year returns. And if you had a less aggressive portfolio, 40% in stocks, 60% in bonds, you only lost money 3% of the time when looking at three-year rolling returns. But when you went out five years on the same portfolios, they both had a positive return 99% of the time. So you know, stay invested in your mix. Don't try to time the market. It just doesn't right. work out very well. And, you know, JP Morgan uh, Asset, they did a management study showing that if you miss the 10 best days of the stock market, your return overall would be lower by about three and a half percent. And most of the best days follow the worst days, which is typically when investors, you know, throw in the towel. And the worst day was March the 23rd. Remember, it right. was t- the markets were down 10 or 12%. It's unbelievable. In that one day. The volatility and, we saw right there in yeah. March. And then the next day, it was up 10 or 12%. But, man, it, I mean, the volatility was was very, very large. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you can't afford to miss those great days because, like you said, 3.5% a year is huge. You know, you can't can't afford to have that happen to you. So, so you got to be in the market for the long term. And, and like you pointed out, John, you know, if you're in there for five years or more, then you have a 99% chance of having a positive return. So, you know, even in a 60% stock portfolio. So, you know, the point is, if you're more than five years away from needing to tap into your investments, you're five years away from retirement, you know, don't let your emotional desire for stability and certainty cloud your judgment, um, you know, just because we went through a tough time. Um, You know, going to cash, it may give you the certainty of knowing that your investments weren't going to lose any more money in the short term, but it's also going to lock in significant losses if you're already down. Um, so, you know, if you cried uncle back in March and you sold out of your investments, um, you know, you may have locked in a 20 to 40 percent loss on um, the down part of the market. Um, on the other hand, if you had followed a disciplined process and strategy and rebalanced some of the fixed income into stocks back in March, mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we routinely do for our clients, um, you know, you would have had a terrific return on those investments over the past six months. Oh, no doubt. It's up 20 to 40% from yep. the bottom. That's um, exactly right. So rebalancing is the key. You don't want to, you don't want to be trying to time this and you don't want to, you don't want to get scared out at the bottom. Yeah, that's right. And the, the final uh, money type we'll look at is the innocent. And uh, for those investors who just couldn't, you know, bring themselves to look at their investments, uh, earlier this year, they actually did themselves a favor. And I have people that say, hey, I don't look at stuff when it's way down because the stock market, um, you know, since that point has has skyrocketed after falling really over 30, 30% in about a month. So studies show that the less frequently you, you look at your investments, the better your accounts typically perform because you're not, you're not making adjustments and changes and, and you don't feel like you have to do something. So, uh, but you got to be careful with that, you know, burying your head in the sand. They work from time to time, but um, it can also have, you know, the potential to, to do harm as well, specifically for retirees. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if you're taking money out of your accounts, then any downturn is going to be exacerbated by selling stocks 
when they're at a low price. Um, and for that reason, you know, if you're if you're retired, it's important that you have some fixed income in your portfolio yeah. and you also have an emergency fund on hand to prevent you from having to sell stocks when they're in a downturn. Um, and then when you need money to take out of your accounts, you can sell bonds, um, you know, during the down market. And that's, of course, you know, what we do in our portfolios by rebalancing, right? We're always selling we're selling whatever's the lowest and or whatever's the highest yep. and when the markets are down then that means it's fixed income and that's what protects you know retirees whenever they're taking money out <clears throat> during down markets um so you gotta have a process for that um you know and, and you you can't be um you can't be all in in stocks when the markets are down yeah right and so you know the takeaway from this article steve is different kind of money types very emotional um, you know, a lot of folks work with us because they they have a go-to person a process in place. You know, it, you know, past performance obviously doesn't guarantee future results, but markets have always recovered from what we've seen. So next time we go through this, and there will be a next time, there'll be another event, um, have a process, have a plan in place. Uh, listen to us periodically. Uh, listen to Dave Ramsey and his organization. They'll speak truth as well into these processes and things to do and things not to do. But keep your emotions in check and don't make any rash decisions. Yeah, that's right. Great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, we're starting to get this question a lot, Steve, for our, our clients out there listening. Um, TD Ameritrade has been uh, officially uh, purchased by Charles Schwab. Yeah, they closed so, on that on yeah. the 6th, I believe. 6th yeah. of October, that's right. So uh, exciting. Uh, a lot of clients are asking what changes are going to be in the, the works with that. And we really don't know. We don't expect anything major. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, two kind of you know, similar types of um, very, you know, custodians. Very similar companies. Very, very well respected. Uh, you know, We're excited about being uh, partnered with, with Swab going forward, and I think it's going to be good for everybody involved. So I don't, I don't see any major changes. It's, it is going to take a while. They're saying 18 to 36 months. Yeah, that's right. We so we're looking them. at you know anywhere from a year and a half to three yeah. years for them really to integrate the two companies together. But like you said, I mean, they're, they're two very similar companies. They're they very low-cost discount um, custodians and brokerage firms. Um, you know, they both have great technology, good websites. Yep. Um, yep. You know, they're very well respected in the industry. I'm excited. I think long term it's going to be good for 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 clients. Um, you know, I think they're going to take some of the good stuff from both yep. companies and integrate it together. And they were already both great companies, already low cost. So I think it's going to be good, but it's going to be long term. So yep. we're not going to see any effect in the near term. That's right. So good question of the week. All right. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is paying for college without loans. Um, mm, tough. That's tough what task. every parent and, and a student wants to do, right? Yes. For sure. Well, there are ways to do that. This is based on an article um, from the college investor uh, very recently, Robert Farmington. And uh, but, you know, John, the average student loan debt for recent college graduates is more than thirty thousand dollars now. Um, there's a record $1.6 trillion that are mm. held by like 67, 69% of college graduates wow. that come out with this debt, um, according to the U.S. News and World Reports um, data last month. That's three times more than the total credit card debt in the U.S. Most people don't realize that, but college loans is, yeah, a lot it's bigger massive. problem than credit cards, you know, according to uh, the latest data. So, you know, when you're looking at how to pay for college, most people, they kind of look at scholarships, they ask their parents, and they take out, 
you know, student loans. That's just kind of the process. And that usually takes them about 10 minutes to arrive at that question, that, that, that conclusion. So they immediately go to student loans. And you know what? And not a lot of thought is given on the subject. Um, there is there are some alternatives to student loans that not everybody, you know, that's that that really is paying attention to these. Um, and while student loans aren't evil, you know, the biggest thing to remember is that student loans are still they're they're unlike other types of debt. I mean, student loans, they're going it, to it's basically a loan against your future earnings mm-hmm. as collateral. And so they can't be discharged in bankruptcy. Um, you know, if you take out a student loan, it's got to be paid back for the most part. It's going to follow you until it's paid back, you know, unless you're in some type of loan forgiveness program, which we'll touch on here. But, um, you know, instead of being complacent about funding your education, you need to consider the alternatives to student loans. You know, I never realized why, you know, you know, going to the dentist can be so expensive or going to some of the specialists in that area. Well, you know, we work with some young dentists now, and, right. and they're coming out of school with three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars worth of My goodness, student loan yeah, debt. And um, loans. you know, they have a great income coming out, but it's it's going to take a long time to pay that off. Veterinarians are the same way. Yeah, they and are. Obviously, doctors as well. Doctors, so, yeah, very very expensive. So there are some solutions, as Steve mentioned, uh, student grants. Uh, the federal government, states, and many colleges offer grants for individuals uh, that are in need. Um, grants, you know, typically are are focused on you know those in financial need. Um, you know, female students, minority students, uh, disabled students, people that um, you know may need some additional boost um, to to get into college. And this is a great program. That the most common is called the federal Pell Grant. Offers about six thousand dollars per student. So in, in addition to the Pell Grant, the Department of Education offers other federally funded grants that students should consider. So great place to start. Go take a look at that. See if you're eligible for it. Um, it's a great resource for you. Yeah, that's right. You'd obviously fill out the student aid form, the yeah, FAFSA, FAFSA form yeah. to, uh, to qualify for that. And you would apply for those through your institution that you're planning to go to, planning to attend. Um, but there's a whole host of, of non-federal grants as well that can can uh, also give you, and they're based on information from state-specific grants, um, uh, and you can get a lot of information on that on collegescholarships.org mm-hmm. is a good website for that. Um, and they can check with their university's financial aid office as well to confirm that the office didn't miss any grants <clears throat> that were non-federal grants. Um, but universities use a student aid report from the, the FAFSA form um, to determine your eligibility so you have to plan on filing your FAFSA form to qualify for most grants. However, applicants, you know, may be able to fill out a separate application to apply for further university-specific grants that don't require the FAFSA form. Um, but yeah, grants is a you know kind of the first box you want to check when you're you're going to look for uh, uh, financial aid um, without <clears throat> loans. The next one though would be scholarships. Yeah, and just. Only 0.3% of students earn a full ride to, from the university. So competitive. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, very rare that you get a full ride. Um, but almost all the students can earn some kind of scholarship money to help offset uh, co- the cost of college. I mean, students can find scholarship money for just about anything and everything. Most colleges offer the need and merit-based athletic scholarships specifically to their student body. However, students who aren't, you know, athletes, you know, or honor students, um, they need not despair because there are 
private scholarships through civic organizations, charities, government organizations, businesses, and private individuals that also can help. Yeah, and there's other there's websites. So I'll list a couple here. Fastweb.com is one. Another one is uh, scholarships.com. List hundreds of scholarships, and they uh, this, they mention a guy named Chris Gray. He started Scholly, S-C-H-O-L-L-Y, and it is a paid scholarship matching service. It's like three bucks a user, and it can match it to scholarships that maybe you qualify for. And uh, apparently Gray, you know, used these websites for many of the scholarships, and he earned over a million dollars in scholarship money to attend Drexel. So uh, good for him for starting, you know, Scholly. Yeah, That's yeah pretty cool. right. He was really good at it and started his own website to help other people do the same thing. So <clears throat> great resource. Um, but yeah, your your students should uh, consider applying for scholarships, um, kind of as a part time job. You know, applicants who spend twenty hours applying for scholarships um, and win a thousand dollars in scholarships, uh, that's an effective rate of fifty dollars an hour mm-hmm. for your efforts, right? So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I mean, yeah, that's what we did for our kids. Actually, we did have them apply for scholarships and, you know, ask them to consider it as a part-time job. But that's a great way to look at it. And scholarships for smaller amounts um, and those that require more work offer um, the greatest chance for return on your investment of time. Since these scholarships have similar, they have smaller applicant pools. There aren't as many people applying for them because they are hard to apply for, right? So, but students as young as 13 and up, um, uh, can, you know, enter in their senior year of college, can win new scholarships to offset university expenses. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you can, uh, you can start as early as 13. Um, there's also work-study programs. Um, you know, and I did that when I was going through college, John, um, where I, I went and worked for the university, and they pay you, like, minimum wage, but, you know, but it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's very flexible, typically, and you can get, um, you know, a lot of your spending money covered mm-hmm. just by working like 10 hours a week or something on campus where you just walk to it. And, you know, it takes minimal time. Yeah. And uh, it's a great way to help help fund your college. It's kind of cool. I, I work for the uh, president of South Carolina in that area. And you just got to yeah. kind of see behind the scenes a little bit and earn yeah, a little extra you, money. And you get a little perspective on something different. Yeah. You know, I worked in a wood 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 shop, you yeah. know, in the wood utilization department at Clemson. It was cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Another way to, mm-hmm. to help pay for these loans or not have loans is actually working during college. Um, some people are able to do that and, and focus and keep their grades up as well. So many employers offer jobs that are flexible and allow students to work and attend school simultaneously. So got to be careful on the Social Security taxes and earnings over 6400 uh, as it could reduce your federal financial aid eligibility. But, you know, that's something to consider. Absolutely. Another one is the the public student loan or public service loan forgiveness program. Um, So if you do have to get student loans, then you should consider the public service loan forgiveness program. um, Because if you're employed by U.S., federal, state, local or tribal government or nonprofit, um, you might be eligible for the public service loan forgiveness program. Basically, um, you know, you just you just have to. It's a program where you can, you make 120 qualifying monthly payments, so you have to be in it for 10 years, and basically they'll forgive the rest of your loans after 10 years. So you know you're going to be out of debt after 10 years if you qualify for that program. Yeah, another uh, thing to consider is payment plans. Some some colleges, universities, they want everybody to be there, and they'll work out a payment plan with you. They'll spread it over the course of a year so you can kind of cash flow um, you know, the cost associated with it versus going out and actually getting a student loan. So the payment plans are tuition and 
installment plans is another option. Yeah, and most of them don't charge interest, um, but they do have penalties if you fall behind. So, um, yeah, you definitely you can get on a payment program, and that's a good way to do it. But, you know, it's important for students to seek out alternatives to student loans before resorting to borrowing and running that up without a plan for how to pay it back. Um, so, you know, but you, there are some ways out there, as we mentioned, all these all these different programs that you can look at. So you need to dig in, make sure you have a plan for how to pay for college and, you know, start with with this item. These items will be listed here. Yeah, that's a good lesson. If you're saving for college, a couple different ways. ESAs uh, it's called education savings account. 529 plans, another option. Some people are saving a brokerage account. So there's different ways to to build up some money as well. If you're listening to this and you've got, you know, a, a number of years before your child goes to college, give us a call. We'll be more than happy to kind of explain those details. Absolutely. All right. Good topic. And that leads us up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So to get your Social Security estimate, really important to go to ssa.gov. Um, not only to get your estimate, but it's also really important to take a look at your income. Um, I actually had an issue with my income a couple of years ago. I had to go to the Social Security office with yep. my tax documents and show them the W-2, and they, they updated it and changed it. But, you know, it's easier to do that now versus waiting, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 years to update it. Yeah, because you won't have any documentation to prove That's right. what your income was, yeah. right? So you need to do it immediately. And it's something you ought to do every year. It really is check it, um, particularly as you get older. I mean, because you want to go to ssa.gov. Set up an account there. Check your benefits. Know what your benefit's going to be mm-hmm. when you do retire at 62 or 65 or 67 for full full retirement. Um, Social Security takes your top 35 years of your earnings. Um, so it's really important that you make sure, particularly the latter years when you're making more money, you know, that, that it's recorded correctly. And it takes 10 years to qualify. You have to have 40 quarters of qualifying earnings to qualify. So, you know, maybe if you only have... Maybe if you were working mom, you only had eight, you know, eight years of work, you know, it'd be good that you need to log on, look and see what you have, how far you need to go to get full benefits for Social Security. Yep. Really important to stay on top of that. So um, that's the prescription of the week. Yeah, you're paying into it. You got to make sure you get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Very important part of uh, retirement. So. All right, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us, Richard Young Associates, at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 